It's time for your Nooner with Dooner and my buddy right here. What's up, man? Introduce yourself. Talk in that microphone. Oh, Charles Gracie. Let them hear you. Charles Gracie you, Charles. with Hot Seat Services and host of Sense Per Mile. We had a great time. We were, we'll talk about it in just a minute here. We were down at the Atlanta Motor Speedway to do the first ever logistics supply chain race in the Southeast to define the industry. It was freaking fantastic. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I was... From the time you even pulled into that place, though, it was cool. Like, just driving in the park for the experience, you get onto the close to the racetrack. Dude, I thought I was going to be, because when you go on there, you it, the parking lot's, like, right on the track. And I thought that, um, I thought I was going to be able to open up my wife's Prius on that thing, man. <laughs> you know those hybrids hit different. I, I drive a big gas guzzling <laughs> truck. I feel like if I got into a Prius, I'd feel like I'm in Mario Kart. Hey, before we jump into it, uh, sort of serious topic over here, especially if you're a West Coast shipper, you're with the ILWU. Disruption on the West Coast. Greg Miller reports on Friday, the ILWU staged concerted and disruptive work actions that effectively shut down operations at some marine terminals at ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Um, the ILWU staged similar actions that have shut down or severely impacted operations at the ports of Oakland, Tacoma, Seattle, and more. That's from the PMA. The ILWU, they put out this uh, memo on Friday, Charles, and it says the approximately 12,000 Southern, Calif- Southern California-based longshoremen workers who move the nation's cargo remain in an arduous fight with ocean carriers and terminal operators. The ocean carriers and terminal operators made approximately $500 billion in net profit during the past two years as this essential workforce toiled around the clock to ensure delivery of the nation's good through a global pandemic. The massive profit came at a large personal cost. These longshoremen workers and their families, at least 43 ILWU members, lost their lives to COVID-19 during it. He says, um, on July 2nd, 2023, the rank-and-file membership of the Southern California ILW has taken upon themselves to voice their displeasure with the ocean carriers and terminal operators. Sal Mercagliano, he says, what does a West Coast labor disruption between longshoremen, uh, West Coast ports, low water levels in the Panama Canal, increased tolls in the Suez Canal, low freight rates and decreased profits for world world shipping lines get you? Supply chain crisis 2.0. And here's the rock in the hard place that the ILWU is in, Charles. Who benefited most from disruption? Anyone but the workers. Yeah, the steamship lines. Yeah. That's how they made that $500 billion. And they've lost all of their pricing power they had during the pandemic, where $1,200 rates went to $20,000. They're back down near $1,200. Their GRIs are not sticking. And these dock workers, they don't have a ton of leverage. And the steamship lines, they may want this disruption to happen so they get their pricing power back. I feel like there's always that conspiracy side of it where, you know, someone's always benefiting and it's usually the bigger guy and then the smaller guy's taking the blunt of the punishment. I mean, is it conspiracy or just business logic, right? I mean, if, they, if you understand you're in a capacity market, I mean, the same works in trucking. It's just harder in trucking. Yeah. It's way more fragmented. But if you can control a marketplace like that or you can have some artificial disruption, hey, it's been cheddar for the steamship. Yeah, good for business for them. Hey, on the show today, we got a ton going on. We got Carlos Medina from Spillbully. He's going to go over some of the biggest spills in supply chain with us. He's, he put some of the funniest stuff on there. He also works for his company, Spillbully, right? What they do is like environmental cleanup, but they even have a product that works at NASCAR tracks, picking up all the oil on there. 
You know, when we were at that NASCAR event, we were talking to Chris Gonzalez from Clean Harbors. He's one of the people who raced against. He was, he was talking about all the chemicals that get removed from races. That's a big thing that Clean Harbors does. They have to pull, like, all the cleaning chemicals out of there as well as the oil from the vehicles. So big space over there. We got Daniel Ramon from Overhaul. Nice. Cargo theft is up. Bad market, cargo theft goes up. He's got a big report for us. And obviously, you're on the show. Yeah. So let's get into things, man. Let's talk about this NASCAR race. But before we do, how did this all come together? Did it start at Matt's? Uh, yeah, it started at Matt's. You know, uh, we were on your show. We were talking, and Chris was uh, on at the time with Clean Harbors and uh, kind of open challenge and took it from there. And thanks to the NASCAR racing experience, they decided to make it a reality. It was. Yeah, I didn't even think it was real until uh, I got down there. I came down there on Saturday. It was fantastic. We went against Cody Bullock from Clean Harbors, Chris Gonzalez with F2F Transport, yourself and myself. Um, it was a great time. So the NASCAR experience, if you're not familiar with it, it's as real as it gets. You're actually driving the race car. This isn't one of those things where you have an instructor next to you, or even worse, you're sitting next to a driver and like they're just driving and you have to sit there. This is you in those trucks right there, those regular NASCAR cars. And I got to yeah. say, you and I were the least S-talkers in line. You and I were kind of <laughs> nervous, right? You are like, I am risk adverse. I just want to make it through this thing. I want to be uh, alive. <laughs> I was like, I haven't shifted anything outside of a video game in like 10 years. So I hope I can even get this thing like moving. I don't have to have the indignity of a fourth gear push or something like that. <laughs> Fortunately, it all turned out well. And I won't give you the results just yet. But some of those S-talkers... They sure didn't finish first. You know, that's generally how it goes, though. The people that talk the worst in the beginning are usually the ones that finish last. Yeah. Well, we'll walk you through the experience, too. So it's right down near Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. You get in, as you mentioned. Uh, you pull your car. You go onto the track. You don't get to drive around the oval. But the parking lot is, like, right in the center of the track. So it's really immersive when you're in the experience. And um, they don't just throw you out there like live bait. You do have a class that you go to. They tell you sort of the ins and outs of what you're supposed to do in terms of banking, where you're supposed to be on the wall. They tell you about the spotter that you're going to have in your ear, uh, how to do the talk back button, where you got to get in gear, how many RPMs. So they give you the basics. And, um, but then you're pretty much out there after, you're, after you go in line, right? Yeah, it goes do or die time. I mean, in, the whole experience from the time that you're going into the class to the time they're putting you in your jumpsuits to when you're getting out there and watching them run you through everything and put up all the safety gear and strap you in like you're going to the moon. You and I like custom stuff, though. You and I like the custom jerseys. So um, they do provide a helmet and they do provide a, a race suit for you. But I think if you and I, like if we start a circuit, like logistics circuit, I think we got to go and get our own custom. Like I need the what the truck suit, you need the sense for miles. Yeah, absolutely. The NASCAR racing experience, it's not just here in Atlanta. So you can go to this thing in Daytona, Talladega. They got it in Las Vegas, Texas, Charlotte Motor Speedway. I've heard some rumblings. There may be a rematch in Daytona if NASCAR likes how this turned out. So you all tell NASCAR you enjoyed this. Um, what kind of, how did you feel during the race? So I know you were, you were jittery, but you, got, you actually got to ride twice around the track. Yeah, I did. Um, so I'll tell you, getting in that car and getting off, once you get in there and you get comfortable after the first lap, it's, it's just exhilarating. It's fun. It's a thrill. Um, and then as you get more comfortable, you kind of push the boundaries. Uh, I even got to pass an Indy car on the track. I saw you out there, you know, and I went last. And again, I was really, I was, I was nervous. I never shifted a race car before. And I was almost like Anakin in the pod race. You know, I'm there in pit row. I get into first just fine. Um, and then all of a sudden the car goes, my spotter's in my ear. Get off the track, get off the track. I, did, I didn't stall though. It slipped into neutral just like Anakin. I pushed it into first, got it back in a second. And with these cars, you're moving through gears in like, I don't know, a second, a second and a half, maybe yeah. even less. Like, it's really fast. So once you have the motion down, you're quick. Then once you're in fourth, 
then all you're doing is managing RPMs from there. And it was uh, fantastic. And guess what? I managed my RPMs the best because, according to this certificate here, I was the fastest person on that racetrack. Yeah, you beat me by point. Zero three, who got second. Look, it doesn't matter how fast I beat you. You just got to cross the line first, Charles. Well, I mean, I didn't cross the line last, which came to the people that were talking the most of how good they were on this. Now, if we really wanted to go at it, too, like if you guys didn't accept your loss as graciously as you did, we would have had the opportunity to maybe jump in some F1 tracks there. Yeah, and that was pretty cool, too. So they offered two different experiences. You have the NASCAR, and then you have the Mario Andretti, which is the F1 cars. And uh, it's really cool uh, to watch the difference in the two. And even in the videos, they showed us the difference in the shifting and starting up. Oh, yeah, it was, it's, it's quite a bit different between the two. And the cool thing, too, is you saw that video of me driving around the track. Charles has one, too. We're going to have another package on this Wednesday when the other two losers come <laughs> on the show. And uh, we'll be talking about it as they... Uh, you know, they eat their shoes, but it was it was a fantastic time. You know, for me, I got to say, when I was watching Into the Spider-Verse yesterday, they showed the, the preview for Gran Turismo. Yeah. And I got to tell you, the movie's really realistic. Everything I learned from playing that game, and I play a lot of it on my PlayStation 7. I don't have, like, all the nerdy. I don't have, like, the appliances. I don't have, like, the wheel. Or you the just got the controller. But it's the same idea where you got to be on lines and wear the wall. And all it is with these things, and they do warn you. They do warn you when you're in there. <laughs> like, four times during um, the safety At session. Least. Listen to your spotter on how to bank these walls because it's not completely intuitive. Like, you can't just, you can't move really on them. You got to get your line, you got to pick your line, you got to be in a certain spot or else you're going to fall off and wreck. Well, and they put a lot of emphasis because at the end of the day, yes, this is an experience and they're putting it in a control environment, but you're out there with other cars and stuff can happen. And when you're going 126 miles, 127 miles an hour, I mean, yeah. It does make you a little nervous, though, when they keep emphasizing, you could crash. You will crash. Now, they have, like, these shirts everywhere that is the 150-mile-per-hour-plus club. We obviously didn't qualify for that. What are you going to ride to get to 150 miles? I think you could do it in these cars. Uh, one guy uh, was waiting in line while you were racing, and he had— A uh, 48-minute experience guy? Yeah. That would be long. We did eight minutes. And it gets hot. Well, I did 16. It, you, well, because you went twice. <laughs> yeah, I did. It, yeah, well, here's the thing, too. If you're going to travel out there, you have a hotel room. Um, to prepare yourself for the experience, just keep in mind, especially in summer, the track, there's no shade. So you're going to yeah. be out there in the Atlanta heat. The car itself is very, very hot. So if you're coming from a hotel, be prepared to go back and maybe take a shower. I know yeah. I wanted to afterwards. <laughs> the only negative thing I have about this entire experience, it has nothing to do with NASCAR. It has nothing to do with the event itself. It was coming back on 75, and the Atlanta DOT decides on a Sunday or on a Saturday to close three lanes, yeah. not just once, but twice on the journey home. Well, I mean, come on. You were going 127 miles an hour, and then you got <laughs> stuck going five miles an hour because of the DOT. <laughs> it was so painful. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you took away from this experience or if you'd recommend it to others? Yeah, so this experience was exhilarating. It was full of thrills. Uh, it was very educational from that standpoint because it's something most of us don't get to do in a lifetime, and it's open to anyone that wants to do it. But outside of it, what was unique is talking to the folks over there is that there's got volunteer opportunities. They got opportunities for you to turn around and do this experience as someone that's paying to do it or volunteer and get to the experience from there. So I recommend anyone that's got the time go out there and check this out. Speaking of time, you did something I did last year. You just got back from, from Disney. Uh, this summer, too, I've been giving a lot more like sort of parenting tips on here. I've got to know I got a lot of parent listeners. And you just spent, how many days were you at Disney for? Six days. And it was Disney World. I did five days. I went to five parks, five days. It was a grueling experience. I, it was, uh, like, I've been to Coachella twice. And I think um, three days at Coachella in the 110 degrees isn't necessarily as bad as five days at Disney. And this is not say Disney's bad. It's just, like... 
It's like Vegas. It's a lot to take in. It's like Vegas. Three days, you need to call it a break. Uh, I did it for six. We did start it out with Universal and then finished the last four at Disney. Uh, we did Hollywood Studios from 8.30 in the morning till 1 a.m. because we did the late passes. Oh, wow. How, so how is Hollywood Studios compared to Disney World? I loved Hollywood Studios. Uh, one, because I'm a Star Wars fanatic, and that's yeah. carried over into my son. Two... It was all that stuff that someone that's 13 was going to enjoy. So my son was very uh, just drawn in by it, the smile on his face. But outside of that, we did the late passes, which was really cool. It changed the entire experience uh, because being in Galaxy's Edge at night was just really awesome. Uh, A lot of character experiences at night, less people, not as hot. See, what would happen is we would go at like 7 from the resort shuttle to Disney each day. So by like 5... We were just spent, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to get back to the hotel. There's a lot of, even with like the fast passes and stuff, some of those rides, they just did not have them available. So like the Avatar VR, great ride, Rise of Resistance, great ride, but there's just no way to really cut it. So you, you really have to mentally prepare yourself for two and a half hours of staying there with young children who can get impatient. Yeah, and then they got those rides where you got to join the virtual queue and you can't do it until after 1 p.m. or something like that. Oh. Like we did Guardians of the Galaxy and that I'm a Star Wars fanatic. Yes. But I rode that, and that takes the cake. That was the best ride. And my son, my wife, everyone we talked to that's been on it, it was fantastic. See, I, when I came out of it, my, my number one was probably Rise of the Resistance. And also that Avatar Flight of One. I'm not like a huge Avatar like property. Like the IP is like, eh, whatever, take it or leave it. But like that was just a cool experience. That thing that like, if you've built it, I looked at the uh, design of that thing. And that room like goes up and down. It can move up and down four stories and tilt forward. So that like, that is what gives you that really impression on, on there when you get the VR glass and you're getting shot in the face with wind and like water spritzing. Did you get hit with the yeah. water? I didn't yeah. know what that a- any was. Any ride first. where they gave me glasses, yeah. I was getting hit with water at I some point. I thought someone spit at me the first time. I was <laughs> like, what? I almost got like irate, man. That's such disrespect. I've never seen it. But did you do, uh, did they have the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy when you guys went? No, they didn't. So that is amazing. It's a fast-going roller coaster, and the way they make it feel is like you're on the starship, and they got these planets posted in the ride that you're going around as the big screen's playing this immersive experience of a battle. It was really cool, and there's good, you know, 80s music rock because of... Star Lord. <laughs> Let me ask you a relevant question. Oh, wait, you got a blade, didn't you? Can you I did. Show me your blade. Where is it? I got it over here. Sweet. Yeah, if you guys have gone to Disney, there's a thing called Savvy's Workshop there. It's, uh, it's pricey. It's like maybe like after tax, $350, $400. Bucks, who cares? It's a memory. You bring the kids, right? It'll only cost you like $1,200 if you got a couple of kids. But you get to build a lightsaber like that out of metal. There's even a kyber crystal inside. They do like a whole ceremony for you. Yeah, it's really cool experience. Uh, I did it with my son. And uh, I did the old Republic style. He went with the Sith style. You hear that, guys? Look at that. That's butter. Really, really cool experience. And uh, then he, there's the droid building. Yes. Um, which he enjoyed that. I, I wasn't going to do that. I more witnessed that one. <laughs> um, but I, I was taken back at just the detail that went into the whole Galaxy's Edge. Let me, let me ask you something. So is, is recruiting really slow right now? What's going on in the trucking market? So it's, it's not slow. It's unique. Uh, you know, you got people saying that there's a driver shortage. You got people saying that, you know, they're at capacity. What we've witnessed on the recruiting side is that carriers have been allowed due to the capacity crunch of freight to either decide that it's cheaper to leave trucks sit. Yeah. Or be very selective of the drivers they're bringing in. So it's not as much of driver shortage as 
due to insurance and carrier standards that there's a qualified driver shortage, yeah, which good driver be controlled. Shortage. There's always been a good driver shortage. Yeah. And I think that's always been our contention. And why we argue against the sort of ATA narrative of the 80,000 is one, that number, like, why is that number static? This is a capacity market. It doesn't even make sense that it'll be 80,000. But the more annoying thing is that that's what comes up in Google and you have all like the mainstream journalists and they go and they're like, I need a, my editor told me to write an article on driver shortage. And they just Google that. And then they all parrot that ATA number, which really isn't the reality of what we deal with in this industry. And you know what's funny? When you read stuff like that, what happens is, and I think there's a name for this term, but I read stuff like that and I'm like, wow, this, this source is completely wrong. Then I go and read their next article and I'm like, then I'm out there like, oh, you know, I just read this, that thing said that. <laughs> like, wait a second, I, was just, I just proved that they don't know what they're talking about. Well, a lot of people go off those narratives, but working with so many companies, I see it all the time. We'll see these drivers that if you would have gone back five years, they would have been hired like this. And now they're like, well, we're kind of afford to be picky right now because there's so many people on the market. We're not going to take this driver. Yeah. So it's an unfortunate situation. Uh, the industry is self-correcting, which is nice to see. Uh, it's part of the evolution of trucking. But what about Bev right now? Like I've heard three different drivers I know. Rooster being one of them. They've they've all moved into Bev. Uh, two port drivers I know and Rooster. They're in Beverage now. Yeah. So Beverage. Um, also, a lot of the restaurants, reefer deliveries, the specialty lanes. Those are booming right now. Fuel hauling and flatbed starting to pick up a little bit. Uh, right now, where a lot of the pain points is, is that OTR. I mean, these companies are making more money on getting these drivers home than they are by keeping them out on the road. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see this? I guess the market dictates when those things kind of kind of shift. But do you have any indication? Or do you well, have a prediction for us? You know, if you pay attention to the freight rates and where the freight's hot, which you guys have an awesome product for that, yeah. you can generally predict where the demand's going to be. Um, right now, it's specialty. I don't see anything changing on the dry van or the bulk uh, freight too much until second quarter, end of second quarter, just because of the market. Usually, things drop down in fourth quarter. First quarter's even lower, so... I anticipate things to improve by the end of second quarter. Yeah, or maybe there'll be that big port strike, and that will sort of mess up everything. But uh, you know, create a lot of a lot of freight demand and, and some it's rate. It's been elevation. a bad year. I'm kind of glass half full at this point. You're like, yeah, they could strike. Me. I don't know. It might help. I'm not really sure. No, I mean, like, hey, rooting for you, ILW. I understand it can be tough to no. to argue these things. Now, before I let you go, we both saw um, across the Spider Verse yesterday. Here's our logistics professional review of it. For me personally, I'm a little biased. The first film is my favorite animated. Yeah film ever made. I think it's an A+. I think it was perfectly paced, perfectly animated. The new Spider-Verse came out. It continues the story of, of Miles Morales and, uh, and Gwen. Focusing a lot on them, a lot on family. So as a dad there with his kids, you know, it hit in the feels. Nope. Um, Pacing-wise, my only two negatives I had for this movie, pacing-wise, not nearly as good as the first one because it's not a self-contained story. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know this before going in, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, but prepare yourselves. When you go into this movie, because the marketing has completely kept us out of it, it abruptly ends. Like two hours into it, it just abruptly ends, and it's, it's like to cliff. be continued. It's like a brick wall, and you're going at 100 miles an hour, and then it just stops. So, like, you don't see it coming at all. You don't see it coming at all? And then, like, we waited all the way to the end for an end cut scene, like Peter Porker, someone to pop his yeah. head through and be like, that's all, folks, or Ferris Bueller to show up and say, like, the movie's over. Go No, end credit scene either. Which is unusual for Marvel. Really unusual. I was kind of disappointed on that. Uh, thanks for the heads up not to wait around to the end of the credits. Yeah, I did. I, I did. I didn't want to spoil the like the, the abrupt ending, but like at the same time, now I feel like I should because I know I was reading online. A lot of people are like, "Yeah, I wasn't anticipating that," and it kind of offset because otherwise, it's a great movie. And the next one I think comes out in nine months. Yeah, so they didn't leave it too far of a cliffhanger, but I just thought they could have done a little bit better job of easing you into that ending. 
But it was all in all, it was a good movie. It just be prepared for a more story driven, which I'm anticipating the next one to be more action driven. I gotta tell you too, if I was like at Disney or I was at Pixar and you watch the animation and the sound design at this, um, if I was like an animator there, I know what studio I'd want to go to, and it ain't Disney. It's not <laughs> Pixar. I would want to be over at Sony. Yeah, no, it, the animation behind it, the graphics, how they toggled between the different types of graphics to fit the different stories. I mean, it was pretty amazing to watch them blend it all together without it looking like a kaleidoscope. All right, so What the Truck is it? A uh, high recommendation. Go see it. Just be prepared. Uh, if you're a fan of the first one, you'll love it. Just be prepared. Uh, there's some. The good news is that it's really good. The bad news is it's to be continued. But then the good news is nine months from now, you'll have a final finishing part. They did that with John Wick 3, right? I was at John Wick 3. I thought it was the end of a trilogy. And they're like, nope, there's a whole other movie. There's four. There's four coming. <laughs> I haven't even finished four yet because I watched the first three in a row, and it's just so much kicking in the face in a row that, like, <laughs> you, you kind of... Starts you, to become like Rambo. Starts to get like Rambo. Well, Charles, thank you so much for coming by. If you want to connect with Sense Per Mile or Hot Seat Services, where do they go? Yeah, you can go to hotseatservices.com, or you can look us up, uh, Sense Per Mile. We're on every listening platform and across the CDL Life Network. Or you can find me at Turning Point Summit in August in Kansas City. Very good. Well, I look forward to kicking your ass on a NASCAR track once again in the near future. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Meanwhile. Okay, those people are in a kayak, and they just got swallowed by a whale. CBC reports Julie McSorley says she learns an important lesson after she and her friend end up in a humpback whale's mouth. She says whales need their space. McSorley and Liz Cottrell were kayaking together in California's San Luis Obispo on Monday morning, watching the whales feed on silverfish when one of the massive sea creatures surfaced beneath them, topping their kayak and knocking them in the water. She says this afterwards, I'll definitely kayak in the ocean by dolphins and otters and seals and all the others, but I think whales need their space. Wow, brave. I don't know. Would you guys go back in the water after getting swallowed by a, by a whale? Let's ask Danny Ramon. Danny Ramon, supply chain intel at Overhaul. Danny, you do a lot of kayaking in the uh, ocean? Uh, I've never done it, and I don't think I'm going to now. How do you think you'd like, get I, out of I, that? <laughs> you you got to pull, uh, like right? pull like a Super <laughs> Mario Brothers movie, you know, with Donkey Kong in there and drive your, uh, drive your Mario Kart out of its mouth. <laughs> Something, man. I, all I know is I'm not going to try it. <laughs> now, Danny, you're a smart guy. For those who don't know, introduce yourself to everybody here. Well, thanks, Tuna. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, my name's Danny Ramone. I am, uh, I'm running supply chain intelligence for Overhaul. I've been studying supply chain intelligence and cargo theft uh, for about the last 13 years now. Uh, so it's been a little while. Now, so I had travelers on maybe like three weeks ago, and they were telling me that cargo theft was up this year. So I was not too surprised to read your report, but your report broke it down really well. But before, give us an overview of what you were looking at. Okay, well, if we're talking about 2022, yeah, 2022 was a banner year in terms of cargo theft volume. We saw, you know, massive increases. Uh, now, a fair amount of that was likely due to an increase of reporting, but that increase of reporting came from an increase in awareness, and that increase in awareness came from a lot more people suffering cargo theft. Uh, and we know that just because, you know, if you, if you travel the circuit of, of the industry events, uh, uh, TAPA, Southwest Transportation Security Council, uh, PCSE, uh, Miami-Dade coming up later this year, uh, you know that attendance at these industry events has kind of been through the roof for the last two years. Uh, and that's by and large due to a lot of new players on, on the shipper side coming in, uh, having experienced supply chain security issues that they haven't experienced in the past. Uh, kind of, you know, 2020 was 
kind of the turning point uh, for, for cargo theft in the U.S., kind of globally, too. But definitely in the U.S., we started seeing massive increases. Uh, in addition, you know, we've seen a, a massive increase in pilferage over the last probably five or six years. Uh, but what's alarming about that is the scale of the pilferages. Instead of it just being, you know, kind of a potluck, you know, whatever you can carry away from the back of a trailer, we're seeing organized multi-person crew, multi-vehicle crew, large-scale pilferages where they can empty out an entire 53-foot trailer in under 10 minutes. Yeah, we've seen so I've seen some of these reports. We've even covered them on the show, and it's like they almost seem like inside jobs, some of these, because of the scale of the operation, how they knew to target these trucks in specific locations, and how they also knew to bring their own trucks to remove these specific goods. And, and you know, you can tell those things when someone's uh, going after like a truck with dimes in it or a truck with a ton of TVs in it. That, you know, it's very hard to tell what's inside of a truck just by looking at it unless they've got a specific logo. Um, you had in your chart, you, you, we didn't determine what the worst day of the week and the worst time is. Show this chart up here. It's actually Friday is 25% uh, of cargo that's happened on Friday. So going into the weekend is a bad time. And it's from 6 p.m. to the morning. So you go and park in that lot or you go and leave your lot everyone's leaving for work and that's when the thieves know to go and have a buffet right you know uh it's long been known in the industry one, one of the oldest sayings in 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 supply chain security is cargo at rest is cargo at risk right um and and that's always been the case in, in addition we're seeing a a massive increase in in strategic thefts which is you know using fraudulent methods to obtain cargo and usually the entire tractor trailer at once. Uh, those thefts are typically performed on a Friday because it gives them the greatest amount of lead time. They're obviously not going to be delivering until Monday at the earliest. So that gives them at least an entire weekend to move the freight, cover their tracks, et cetera, before anybody even discovers that that freight has gone missing. Uh, and then of course, Monday, you know, there's a little bit of a statistical bump in, in the Monday number because uh, a lot of folks don't discover things that have happened in, over the weekend until Monday. And then that's when the police report goes in. Uh, but we're definitely seeing a lot of, you know, if, if you take into account Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, that's head and shoulders, the lion's share of, of what's going on. And when you look at the time, 6 p.m. to 12 a.m., and then in second place, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., that, mm. that's just the cover of darkness right there. Yeah. Um, you know, they're using the environment to make sure that they're not going to get spotted. They get us when we're at our weakest on Monday, on Mondays and Fridays when we're just not fully tuned in yet or when we're already <laughs> checked out on Fridays and they're doing it in the yep. middle of the night. Um, Post-coffee uh, or post-happy hour and pre-coffee, right? <laughs> well, here's the worst states, too, for, for cargo theft. Show this chart up here. California, like, way above everybody else. I mean, that that's understandable. A lot of freight goes through there. Then you got Texas, Arizona, Tennessee, a little too close to comfort for me. Illinois, <laughs> Florida, Washington, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Virginia. California just king here, though. Look at that. California hasn't always will be likely the king. And that's because, you know, when it comes to cargo theft, by and large, uh, you know, f uh, organized cargo thieves are looking for the low hanging fruit and there's going to be more low hanging fruit where there is more cargo. Right. Um, what I think the bigger story here is here is, is some of the players on this list that we don't see often, if at all, Arizona is almost never on the top 10 list. And it's on the top 10 list because we've got a lot of these large scale pilferage crews expanding the red zone. I don't know if you're familiar with the red zone, but in supply chain security, we always advise drivers of high targeted freight to drive at least 200 miles away from origin before they make any kind of stop. And that's to deter anybody who may be following them from origin. Uh, and that first 200 miles is called the red zone uh, because it used to be that about 90% of thefts that were followed from origin happened within that red zone. Now we're seeing that red zone, so to speak, uh, increase greatly. We, uh, we've we even seen criminals have uh, modified extended gas tanks so they can follow trucks for longer without stopping. Uh, and we're seeing a huge rash, huge rash, excuse me, of 
massive large-scale pilferages along I-10 and I-40 in Arizona right now, primarily from tractor trailers that are leaving uh, the Southern California LA basin. Well, now I'm picturing like uh, an environmentally conscious thief following a truck in an EV that just runs out of battery. <laughs> he's gone so right. he's in, gone so in a long. Tesla that's towing a generator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those Tesla semis. Well, cargo theft by product. Let's look at this. Has this changed much? I mean, electronics are near the top, but then food and drinks are really high. Is that a sign of the economy? Like people got to eat. <laughs> You know, it used to be that food and drinks was always the top one, and that's just because they're easy to liquidate, and there's just a lot of them out there on the road. Electronics being at the top is really a sign of, you know, just the economy doing, you know, well. It's at a certain point, consumers have extra cash to throw at electronics, so, you know, folks are going to be stealing that, along with, you know, coupled with inflation, supply and demand, anything that has retail purchasing restriction uh, or is experiencing shortages is going to be a massive target for cargo theft because it eases uh, the fence process, right? The, the 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 liquidating of that stolen product is easier if it's in higher demand, and the thief is going to end up getting a lot higher share uh, for selling that that product if it's in higher demand. They're able to put a markup on it. Interesting. So we have a chart here that kind of shows the breakdown of percentage. Can you can you show that one? Go into this because there's some there's some really giant jumps here. Yeah, and because it, it changes, you know, like one of the things that we're we're tracking right now is solar panels are a really, really hot commodity. Uh, what we've discovered is because you don't need a very deep criminal network to fence an entire trailer load of solar panels and solar installation equipment, uh, you can essentially sell that directly to an end user, which would be a general contractor or a solar installer, uh, and they could just put it up on a roof uh, like they normally would if they were able to obtain that that inventory cheaper than they would normally. Uh, they're absolutely going to so. Wow, how do I know if I have hot solar panels or not? You know, that'd be a tough one. Uh, they're not—they're not exactly individually serialized, right? You'd have to have a reputable solar installer and make sure he's got records behind where all of his stuff came from. Uh, but you know, these thieves, the, these organized cargo thieves, these guys wake up every day. This is what they do for a job. They travel multiple states to steal full tractor trailers of cargo, um, and their operations are pretty small, so they can turn on a dime. They're very agile and they can respond uh, to market trends in a moment's notice. Building an industrial too, is that people going to construction sites and like pilfering uh, equipment? Not necessarily. No, we're still talking cargo, like yeah. uh, as it travels over the road or in containers. Uh, but again, because things that are not individually serialized and things that you can sell directly to an end user, uh, lumber, shingles, uh, solar panels is in solar panels and solar installation equipment is included in that as well. Uh, but these are things that like, you know, you can go to pretty much any construction site uh, in the country and offload these things, you know, like the off the back of the trailer sale that, you know, people talk about all the time. It happens at construction sites. You know, this chart, the U.S. cargo theft by type of event, I found interesting, too, because things like like hijacking isn't really even like a blip on the radar. Thieves have just so many better methods of going about stealing it. They'll either steal the full truckload. They've got pilferage. You've got what is deceptive pickup? Is that like a like a double brokering type fraud situation? Right. Deceptive pickup is 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 a. Uh the term that we're currently using for strategic thefts, uh, but it is the umbrella for fraudulent pickup, uh, fictitious carrier identity, uh, stolen carrier identity, stolen driver identity, uh, any of the fraudulent methods of, of obtaining freight under the guise of, of a legitimate business transaction, you know? Uh, but yeah, hijacking is definitely not seen in the U S because, you know, criminals know that if they're caught their their sentence is going to be increased exponentially if they use violence. Yeah. It's not worthwhile. There's, there's just better ways to, and I hate to phrase it that way, but there's, better, safer ways if you're a thief to, to go about this. I thought it was interesting, too. Has this gone up last mile career type of like thefts and frauds? Is this a, uh, an increasing category as last mile expands? 
It is, especially with the, uh, you know, just the proliferation of, of last mile courier as just a transportation type. You know, you've got Amazon coming up, UPS. Uh, folks are robbing Amazon trucks. Folks are, are, are stealing things out of parcel trucks. So as parcel delivery goes up, you know, so does parcel theft, uh, especially as people rely on parcel delivery for uh, more valuable uh, products and more frequently throughout their lives. Now, at the it's start more of likely the- that thieves are going to get something valuable in those trucks, you know. At the start of this, you mentioned pilferage, and that is, is that's what, number two here. What has changed about pilferage? You know, in 2020, uh, we saw a lot of mainstream media coverage of cargo theft, you know, the, the, the cardboard boxes littering, the train tracks in L.A., and we saw those kinds of methods expand. And uh, just, just through copycat, because, again, awareness, you know, folks sitting at home, uh, the non-professional cargo thieves, the guys who do not wake up every day just to commit cargo theft, but rather the local violent criminal, right, will see these things and say, hey, there might be product X, Y, and Z sitting in a train just right down the road from where I live, and they're going to wait until nightfall. They're going to go down there and start popping open containers, seeing what they can find. Uh, the same thing will start happening at truck stops. And so that's basically what we've seen. We've seen large-scale pilferage and even small and medium-scale pilferage just start to spread as awareness of it as a potential tactic and a potential, unfortunately, money-making endeavor for criminals uh, has become just more widespread and wide and more well-known. Uh, and it's just kind of exploded because of that. A number one, thefts of full truckload. Did your data say uh, like where many of these thefts are happening? Are they happening like at origin? Are they happening in that red zone? Where, where are the thieves doing these targets? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of them still do happen in the red zone. I, I will tell you, by and large, they're going to happen when the, the freight is stationary and unattended, right? And that can happen anywhere. Mm. Uh, but one big, big hotspot that we do see that's not necessarily just geographical, but is in relation to any shipment is parked outside of destination. Uh, we highly advise against anybody arriving a destination early and staging outside the facility because usually, especially in the the cities that have a lot of these distribution centers, and especially if it's a big box store distribution center, uh, folks know, you know, like this is a distribution center for this store. This store carries this type of products uh, and they're always very busy. And therefore there's always six to 10 trucks parked outside overnight. Those tend to be uh, uh, big targets for uh, for theft. But if you're talking about full truckload theft, it is by and large uh, stationary and unattended. So that tends to be at truck stops, uh, but it can be anywhere that the truck is left stationary and unattended. We, we do see it in public parking areas like big box stores that will let a semi park in their in their parking lot. Uh, we'll see it in those locations. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's why we always tell our drivers, you know, team drivers are best and uh, leave someone with the freight at all times. Well, I, I would say looking at your report, I mean, this is this is should be pretty obvious to shippers and carriers that your freight is most at risk when it's not guarded, when it's not moving. So why isn't there a bigger push to invest in like safe parking lots, right? Or safe parking facilities? There's always this debate about it. And like the can is always kicked and whose responsibility is it? Well, ultimately, the thieves love that you're arguing about that because it makes you guys easy targets. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there was actually just a, I don't know. I don't know if I should call it a bill or exactly what it was. Something was introduced. Essentially, the federal government has debt uh, has earmarked 
X millions of dollars to invest in secure truck parking, X amount of spots of secure truck parking across the country. Problem is right now, you know, that's not what secure truck parking means is not defined. Uh, where those are going to go hasn't been decided. Nothing's really been decided other than that the money's been earmarked. So that's a beginning, uh, but we really do need to come together as an industry, start defining what mean what secure yard means uh, and what security procedures and, and uh, what security procedures should be in place and something that we're going to call a secure yard. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your time today. People want to read this full report. Where would I send them to to go get that? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, you can either follow me on, on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn, and these reports get posted on LinkedIn all the time. Follow Overhaul on LinkedIn, or go to over-hall.com. Very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. All you right, take it one. easy. All right, everybody, elsewhere. Uh, what's the scariest bathroom you've ever been to when you're in a truck stop? This one looks like a kill room. I mean, all it's missing on the ground is uh, a little plastic... Maybe a little spill bully to suck up your blood or something. I don't know. This one is frightening. That's the one thing I do. My family and I, we go on a lot of road trips. We got we drive up to North Carolina a few times a year. We got to drive to Boston and back a few times a year. One thing I love about rest stops is you just never know. You just never know if you're walking into Joyride or like, you know, a really nice new loves. It's part of the experience. Even the asbestos. Carlos Medina, president at Spill Bully. Carlos, it's been too long, man. How you doing? It's been a while, dude. I'm doing great. How you doing? What's the uh, scariest bathroom you found yourself in while uh, traveling? You, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I don't even know. I, did, I haven't even come close to anything that you just showed right now. I don't think there's uh, enough spill bully in the world to clean that place up. Yeah, I would. I would hope it was just like a like a pee when you hear in that one. I don't want to be in there oh, for too long. I'd be in and out of that place quick. You just got back from uh, an event. Tell me a little bit about that. You were out there uh, showing your wares, right? Your little convention? Yeah, yeah. It was the Industrial Environmental Association of San Diego. So got to meet a lot of fine people. They came by and uh, picked up a lot of Spill Bully swag. They're, they're Spill Bully ammo. Um, trying to kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, spread, spread the word of sustainability in a, uh, in a different form. Um, showing people that there's uh, different ways of cleaning up spills. There's spills of different forms, different types. So, uh we were there spreading the good word and made some great partnerships and connections. Well, for those who don't know, what is Spill Bully? So, so, so Spill Bully specializes in sustainable, um, elite sustainable products for spill prevention, spill containment in all industries. Um, you're talking ports, marinas, um, industrial manufacturing. Um, that's a picture of me there. We actually just uh, launched at Walmart uh, a couple months ago um, in their paint department. So uh, you can now find us there nationwide. Um, Great product for solidifying your waste paints that you might have after a project. Very cool. Well, what's been good in your world? Because the last time I talked to you was about two years ago. So you've had some time to grow. And, you know, if you think two, two, two years ago may have been like another century concerning what was going on back then. What's Spill Bully like today? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So we've been making some good growth in uh, different segues. Those pictures that you see there are, um, they were uh, from uh, uh, the Waste Expo and, uh, we uh, have been working on implementing our spill kits as a standard OEM product for all new trucks that roll off of uh, off of the dealership. Um, spill, spills happens in many different forms. Hydraulic hoses leak, and uh, having our spill kits on your rig um, is uh, is the cheapest insurance policy that you can have when it comes to hazmat spills. Interesting. So, how does your supply chain work? Like, where do you get products from? How are you moving freight around? 
So, so we, uh, when I first started the company, you know, the idea was to venture out and to, to look for uh, the best uh, spill prevention products all around the world. So we source out products from Europe, um, India, um, use products that are usually looked as trash in order to recycle them for the application of cleaning up uh, something as simple as an oil spill. So uh, supply chain has definitely been an issue, um, especially uh, shipping cargo container uh, via slow boat um, across the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, yeah. Well, the West Coast might be even tougher with the shutdowns and disruptions. There's Even today, there's gates closed down over there. So at least you have it coming east. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? A lot, a lot of the spill material is a commodity product, you know. So, you know, one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we, uh, we, uh, we're able to minimize waste, but also minimize the cost of, our, uh, of the companies that are using it, mainly the end users. No, you started, we started out the show talking about NASCAR and the big logistics NASCAR race we did. Uh, before I show this little clip right here, I got to ask you, you ever driven one of them NASCARs? No, I have not. Um, I definitely want to, uh, I definitely want to get out there and do it one of these days. Going fast sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, you got to get into, uh, you got to get into the winner's row, the winner's row, like, like where I stand, you know, it's lonely. It's lonely right here, Carl. Yeah, no, absolutely. You look good <laughs> doing it. You do some NASCAR. We have a clip. Let's see what they. What, so, what in do this you guys video, do with the? We're going to be taking a look at the industry standard kitty litter versus spill bully heavy granular. Kitty litter is known for the dust clouds that it leaves behind, as well as its residue. Spill bully heavy does not make a dust cloud when it gets driven over. Neither does it leave a residue behind after it is done cleaning up a spill. Spill Bully Heavy is a recycled byproduct of the paper industry. It is wind resistant, all natural and non-toxic, and more importantly, dust free. Does it work in a cat litter box though? Yeah. You know, I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. Don't have cats. Uh, don't plan on having cats. But uh, um, if anybody wants to give it a shot, I'd definitely send them out a sample to, to, to get some feedback. But uh, no, I have not tried that yet. Is like what in the spill space? Is that like your biggest competition? Is like cat litter? Like what are people? What were people using before a great product like Spill Bully came around? Uh, you would you would use your typical kitty litter. Um, I don't know if you've ever used it. You know, it does. Uh, it, somehow it became an industry standard a long time ago. It's heavy. It's <laughs> dusty. Um, you know, and, and and one of the things that uh, that we try to um, inform customers is that, that that dust is pretty toxic. So we uh, we went out and uh, and searched. Um, again, around the world to try to find the best product that was wind resistant, dust free. Um, and in that type of a setting, we did that out at the Las Vegas Speedway. Um, it, uh, it worked very, very well to make sure that uh, you keep that dust and set off of the track, improving uh, the hygiene of the track. Interesting. You know, you mentioned and sort of an environmental sustainable play. Have you been involved in any environmental cleanups? Uh, you know what? Last time we, I was on the show, it was actually up in Huntington Beach during during that uh, during that spill that they had over there. Um, trying to kind of um, provide my support um, as much as I could to that spill. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, again, they come in all different types of sizes. So um, making sure that uh, my, my customers have a direct access to me in case there is a major spill um, to be able to provide the product, we're always ready here at Spill Bully. Very cool. Well, you know, I might be the king of reading the strap work, but you are the king of the spill of the day. And we have some of your greatest videos of all time right here. Roll that first one, my friends. Oh, wait, this one might be a product. This might not actually be a spill of the day. That is a product. That is a product photo. So, <laughs> what is uh, you know, just to get get into that one. Yeah, so that, that that's us supporting uh, our local uh, Marine fleet here with their secondary containment here in Camp Pendleton. 
But what is going on? Like, what is, is that driving on one of your products? What's happening here? Yeah, it's, it's driving over. So, um, you know, the, the idea is to make sure that you are able to contain, um, you know, in case there is a substantial leak or spill that's coming out of um, those fuel tanks that they carry. Oh, oh, did you do some testing on that before? Like you just let it drive anywhere. And if you start seeing a collection of uh, fluids or whatever, you know, it needs some work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it basically keeps stuff from running into a storm drain or contaminating the soil that the, that the vehicle's parked on. Let's take a look at this. Ne- Let's take a look at this next guy. What happened? What happened to him? <laughs> he's, he's driving around. It looks like like there's a paint spill or something here. Is there not? Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was one of the more popular spills of the day, Dooner. Um, but uh, yeah, that's about as extreme as a paint spill will ever get. I would like to think it worked great with the oh, yellow yeah. soundtrack. I just didn't want to get sued by uh, Coldplay, so I, I had to had to mute that one. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fantastic one. Now, it's getting to be summertime. It's, it's great to cook out with your family, but sometimes frustrations can happen. Let's take a look at what happened over at this grill. So Dad's cooking it all yeah, up. Yeah, you know what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> playing around. Nice. Oh, no. He went, <laughs> he went for the jump kick, and he falls on the Weber. And now he's blaming, he's blaming his own kid who he tried to kick. Oh. <laughs> Oh, man. He did kind of lift yeah. his leg up there. Yeah, you know what? I mean, that was – I had to watch that one quite a few times. I got a, I got a good laugh out of it. But, uh, you know, again, once again, spills happen in many different forms. I'm sure that he probably needed some spill bully there to pick up that grease that he left down there. What's your biggest barbecue mishap that you've had? Oh, man. Um, you know what? I'm not much of a barbecue guy. It's something that I definitely want to get into a little bit more. Um, you know, so no, no, nothing to that extreme, though. So every once in a while, you know, I'll drop a piece of carne asada and my dog will pick it up. Well, here's where our worlds collide. This one is kind of a cross between a rate the strap work and a spill. Let's roll this guy on the swing. When's the last time you had a nice uh, ride on a swing over there, Carlos? <laughs> this is like oh, Chekhov's gun, too. You oh. see that fire. You know that video's on this show. You know someone's ass is landing in that. Look at that. It's a nice correction he does midair, though. I mean, this is a big man, and he flops around and manages to get his knee in there instead of, you know, getting a burnt butthole. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Could have been an easy weenie roast, right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, but, uh, <laughs> that was a little too close to the fire. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, again, it, it comes by, it comes down to education, you know. Know, know, know the rating of the straps, know the rating, and, 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 and the load that you're putting on, and the, the weight-bearing stuff, so... Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out too well for that gentleman. It looked like he was having fun for about a you know, good 10, 15 seconds before it uh, went completely wrong. You know, a great way to prevent accidents is to know your limitations and to, to know your skills and maybe not to volunteer for stupid things like laying on a pool table. Let's take a look at this guy yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see, trick shot coming up. He's got the apple in his mouth. Oh, no. Right in his ear. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm sure there was a little alcohol involved in that one right there. So also no Oh, yeah. So he's already a little uh, anesthetized, right? He's got a little anesthesia from the alcohol. So the ear's going to hurt, but he, he won't really notice that cauliflower ear he just got until the morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a think- lot of trust in your buddy there. 
You ever injure yourself in pool? I injured someone else once. I was uh, in actually in Southern California when I lived out there in, in Dana Point. There was this pool hall, and the okay. tables were like really close to each other. And I went back to shoot, and I just boom, I nailed some girl right in the back, like right in the small of her back. It was, it was not good. It almost caused a, a huge incident with the guy she was with. But um, you know, I got a silver tongue, and I was able to talk myself out of it. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, well, good, good recovery there. Um, yeah, no, I have not, uh, not much of a pool player. Um, so can't say that I've had any mishaps there. Well, Carlos, I mean, with the success of Spillbilly, I'm sure you've bought yourself a boat by now. Have you not? Um, wait, no, no, absolutely not. Maybe I'll get myself a kayak. Let's take a look at this guy with his boat because he has a unique method for getting it back on the trailer in one seamless motion. Oh. Now, most people would stop here, but not him. He uses his full momentum to get himself right back on the trailer. Yeah, talk, talk about a proper park job there. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if the boat survived it, but it definitely, uh, definitely made that full look good out of park. Why are they freaking out? I mean, this was like, this was like a one in a million type of docking. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I don't think the guy could do it twice if he wanted to. Very impressive, though. We got some, we got even more spill action, Carlos. Here's one for you. You ever been late for the ferry? I have not. You have not been late for the ferry? Well, if you were, would you have tried this? Let's take a look at this guy. Now, keep, a, keep an eye on the upper deck over here. See, the ferry's pulling away, but this guy's like, hey, I got cargo to get somewhere. So he starts accelerating, and then he tries to Super Mario Kart jump. Oh, <laughs> it's my God. Van right in the middle of the ferry. And he gets there. I mean, he got there. He may not have stuck the landing. The entire car kind of disintegrated. That, that that's uh, that's pretty amazing. There, I mean, it, it, it's almost uh, what's that movie with the bus? Speed, right? Speed, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a speed move right there. Well, then the second speed. I don't know if you ever saw Speed Two Cruise Control. A lot of people didn't. It bombed big time. Uh, I don't think Keanu was even in it. I think Sandra Bullock was, and it took place on a boat. Remember that one? They you might know, have just I deleted I it. Can't say that I have, Buner. I think they just deleted that movie. You never see it like on streaming. You never hear anyone be like have nostalgia for Speed Two. You never hear anyone quote it. Yeah, no. I mean, I can't say that I know a single quote or maybe even seen it. So I'll have to look it up and uh, take a look at the blockbuster icar archives there. Now, sometimes you know you get pulled over by the police, and there are things you don't want to spill out of the back of your truck, Carlos. Let's take a look at what happened over here. Police stopped this truck, and look at this little rope. They're going to pull out, and then surprise, surprise. The bar, oh look, just brick after brick what of drugs, man. <laughs> you know what? That, that, is, that is a clever place to put them. I don't know how they were able to find that. They're just cheering as more and more comes out of there. Now, we were talking about cargo theft. I got a movie plot for you. Can you let, mute, mute the sound on this for a second? I got a movie plot for you, Carlos. We were talking about cargo theft earlier, so here's my plot. You're like a low-level cargo thief, right? Like, you're just trying to get back in your feet. You're actually the main character, so, like, the movie's kind of empathetic to you. It shows, like, maybe you lost your job during COVID or something, and now you're, you're, out, here, uh, you're out here just trying to steal cargo. You, you, you get a truck, and you steal one that actually the cartel put a ton of drugs into, and now not only the cops after you, right, but you're running scared from the cartel. I, th I, I mean, I think uh, I'm sure that's probably happened quite a few times already. Yeah, yeah. Is it a documentary? 
I, that would be that would be frightening. Like, imagine if you did that, and the next thing you know, you're just like cut in half with chainsaws and tied to a mattress and set on fire. And you're like, all I did was steal like a container of LG TVs. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would I wouldn't want to be part of that, but I definitely will. Uh, I'll definitely go watch the movie though. Are you a Are you a trusting person? I believe so. Yeah, you ever do any like? Did you ever go to like summer camp when you were a kid and do trust falls? You know what? Never did summer camp. Um, done a couple of trust falls, time or two successfully so i did one and it was a big it was a big mishap because like i kind of went backwards and i like randy savage elbowed one of like the trust followers in the face that didn't intend to like they were like they were in the wrong position i don't know i snocked him in the schnoz though and we both hit the ground let's take a look at how this trust fall goes this could be this could be one of our spills here would never ask you students to do anything we wouldn't do ourselves oh, holy crap what is happening i didn't know you were oh. So us teachers would never ask you students nah, to do right on the anything face. we wouldn't do ourselves. Poor, poor lady. She got to knocked out of her. Famous last words too, right? She's just like, I, would, I wouldn't do this if, if I... That's what the, they told us at NASCAR too. They're like, you know, we wouldn't have you do this if we wouldn't do it, do it ourselves. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? She had all the safety harness and everything like that, but it couldn't... Uh, she, she, couldn't uh, she couldn't brace herself for the fall because her supporting cast wasn't ready for it. Carlos, how do you pass time when you got when you're stuck waiting around? How do you pass your time when you're out on the job? Um, you know what? Well, we still still play baseball. I'm old college baseball player, so oh, I like really? to get out there um, every once in a while, throw, throw the ball around. You know, play some men's league, and I just uh, I recently picked up pickleball. Actually. Did you really? What do you swing for a bat? Because my kids just got into Little League. And um, parents out there, if you haven't gotten shops for, like, a bat yet, it's actually kind of confusing, like, when you go to Dick's, because there's all different types. There's a BB core bat, which is, like, for NCAA and for college. There's USSSA bats, which are for, like, travel baseball and, like, senior Mm -hmm. leagues. And then you got the USA bat, which is the only one you can use for Little League. And then you got softball bats and slow-pitch bats. It can be confusing. But I picked myself up a uh, a Marucci Cat 7 BB core 33 drop three. That's what I'm swinging with these days. Yeah, no, the BB core seems to be the more popular one. I mean, back in the day when I was in little league, you know, we only had one kind, you know, it seems like they're, they're, they're kind of changing things around travel balls needs a different one. I mean, um, you know, my recommendation, uh, start getting, start getting your son to use use a wooden bat, you know? Yeah. Although, well, they don't get to, you know, well, I, you know, there's a place called D-Bat here. We just got them like a membership and you can go and take as many cuts as you want at the, uh, at the pitch bats. But then I realized you have to go in a few times. They still need to work on some swing mechanics. So I picked up like a nice little, a nice little tee to hook them up with. Yeah, there you go. I mean, pro- they, I mean, training tools, they got, they, 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 they got a bunch of them. So, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of the bat, you just kind of go according to whatever league that you're in right now. I know, uh, things, things have been changing drastically. Um, I don't have any kids, but I do have nephews that play, um, uh, little league baseball. And I, I know the frustration that their parents have trying to pick a, the, 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 the proper tool for the job. Yeah. Actually, you know, I'm going to skip this next clip because you're used to spills. Let's go to the fire truck. Let's see what you think of this fire truck. This is supposed to be a fire truck of the future. You're kind of an expert. Do you think this thing would actually work? If you audio listeners, it's like this big, like, oval red truck that can lift up on stilts to go after some traffic. I don't think that would clear a semi. And then the top of it opens, and this massive drone structure flies up to the fire with a couple guys in it, and they're going to start shooting, like, water cannonballs at it. Hold, look, ch- check out how they're trying to save these people. Oh, that, that, I, I guess the thought is amazing. I believe that that would probably cause more accidents than anything else. I mean, how do you even power that thing? 
I know, it seems like this This is like ridiculous. And also, isn't part of firefighting like you have to go in the building to see the fire you can't see? So I don't know how, like all these people are really casual. Well, there's like a raging inferno right next to them. <laughs> you know what, that, that, that's quite Jetson of the, the people that put that together there. Um, you know, I think, I think they're probably a good thousand years away from actually making that happen. Now, Carlos, have you ever delivered a Spill Bolivia drone yet? No, absolutely not. But you know what? I mean, it, it, that's, that's, a, that's a, a very good idea there. You know, drop a spill kit in the middle of a spill that you're not able to get. Well, Matt Waller at my alma mater, uh, honorary alma mater, the University of Arkansas, he got a drone delivery over in Arkansas because uh, Walmart's been doing him. Take a look at this. This is right over his house. It's going to drop the package. It looks really cool. My only question for him, though, like I asked him afterwards, and I was like, it sounds loud. Like, doesn't that sound really loud? Sounds like a beehive. Yeah, it's, it's pretty loud. He said, oh, I don't know. I wear, um, I wear a, a hearing aid, so I couldn't tell. <laughs> but it's pretty sick. Look at that. He said it took like two hours. Yeah, he just went online on, on Walmart. He ordered his thing, and within two hours, he had, uh, he had his drone delivery. Awesome stuff. Well, unfortunately, we are at it. We're out of time on the show, Carlos. How do people find Spill Bully? You know what? Check me out on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, that's usually where I could get, get a hold of me or just go to uh, spillbully.com and take a look at our products. Thank Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. Keep being, on the, keep being the spill goat. Thank you to all of our guests today. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duner. Follow the show at FW. What the truck? Take care. And don't be a stranger.